Your Most Avid Reader by Bibi Berkey. Chapter received with thanks. Read, tidied up and forwarded. Is the synopsis on its way? This is not standard practice to drip feed chapters to one's agent, but they seem grateful for anything they can get. And the feedback is quite good, actually. Monica. Hi, Monica. In that case, can I leave the rest to you now? I'm sure you're brimming with ideas to take it from here. I'm a little out of my depth. It's daunting to think of how much work goes into writing fiction. They say everyone's got a book in them, but I seriously doubt it. It's a three-way split, isn't it? Inspiration, discipline and luck. I don't know what the ratio is there. Anyway, your most avid reader. You don't mention talent in your little writer's trinity. Is that because you don't believe it? You think that what separates success from the lack of it is not an intrinsic ability, but luck and labour? Possibly, I don't know. I must ask you again, Hilary. What do you want of me? Am I your route to getting somewhere? Am I going to discover soon enough that you demand your name on this book? No, it's all yours. I have no such ambition. I don't wish to gain financially or professionally from it. And to be honest, I don't wish to write any more of it. Although I've pretty much worked out the plot. I mentioned how I ran off to America, didn't I? Well, I went with nothing. I'm not talking about money. I had considerable savings and some little family wealth, and so I wasn't destitute. And anyway, I carried on using the marital joint account for ages before my idiot ex noticed. And he didn't do anything about it once he did. No, what I mean was that I had no aim. When I ran away, I thought perhaps it would be romantic just to drift and see where I'd wash up. But that's not me, not really. I was trying to ignore reality for a while, and it didn't work. Within weeks of arriving in New York, where I stayed in my half-sister's tiny apartment, I was panicking because I had nothing ahead of me. Didn't have the stomach for PR again. I knew I wouldn't be able to impress anyone sufficiently, and that was just too awful a thought. I'd do something else, I decided. Something new, and do it well. But not knowing what made me desperate, and there was a kind of wild restlessness in me. I felt like everybody owed me an apology about myself. You once asked me where I got my idea for the Clement Street series. Well, it kind of grew in my head, via an offhand comment from some long-forgotten conversation. It had nagged me for years. It was coming through all muffled, not fully formed. There was something missing, possibly my own confidence in making something of it. Anyway, my half-sister Laura kept inviting me out on double dates, as they call them over there, probably in a bid to get rid of me. I don't blame her. What a gloomy presence I must have been. Then one night I blew up at her and told her that I was fed up with being introduced to one New York banker after another. She protested that she was only trying to help, and I said that she was picking all the interesting ones for herself and leaving the dross for me. Like who? she demanded. 
Like that editor chap you've seen a couple of times, I said. You know, I actually saw her face fall. Not just a figure of speech. It was because she knew me, and she sensed that I wanted him, and that I wouldn't stop until I got him, and she'd have the unpleasantness of battling with me over him. She is not the sort to do something as unseemly as fight over a man, my dear lamb of a sister, and so she gave way, even though I knew she rather liked him and thought there was some potential there. And so I had to put my money where my mouth was, and I found it rather easy to seduce him and, well, at least I didn't throw him aside or anything. That would have been insulting to Laura. I stuck with him. This, of course, is Ryan I'm talking about. My husband of two years. In many ways, I blame Laura that I married him at all. I'd felt so guilty about her sacrifice that I dredged up more enthusiasm for him and for our relationship than either deserved. And he was such an American-looking chap as well, you see. All lantern jaw and huge teeth, acne-scarred, and with really very thick golden-brown hair. A lovely, enthusiastic, sexually-obsessed young... Well, he was like a hound, really if one must describe him in a pictorial way. A good, big, sleek sort of hound. What I haven't mentioned yet is that he got the whole book thing off the ground. You see, I was a very keen reader of women's writing at the time, and by that I don't mean anything too literary. It was everywhere. Those middle and low-brow books were pitched just right for women in my condition who needed to be distracted from their own squashed dreams. We craved a very simple salvation, nothing too profound, just an outcome where we were found to be good and beautiful and, above all, right. Ryan's publishing house was making a fortune out of these writers, and we would talk often about my idea for a historical series where the chase is always the thing, because the happily ever after is an empty sham that no one believes and the chase would take place over centuries, backwards and forwards, where the lovers would yearn for each other and yet would never quite reach each other. Meanwhile, around them would play out fascinating moments in British history, enmeshed with subplots of all the usual love, sex, power, etc. Ryan was bowled over, not really by the plot, but by the fact that it was such a ready-made series. With his help... I ground out the first one. A very good editor in his department helped me rework it. My God, but I was keen and willing to learn in those days. And I discovered, after much effort and crushing of the ego, that actually I could do this. I could write a book and make this series happen. Well, my dear, when you have a major publishing house on your side, if not in your bed, there's nothing a writer can't do. In the two years that Ryan and I were together, I wrote three books with increasing independence. The third was virtually all my own work. One day I said I had to go to London to research a new plot, and once there I emailed him to say I wasn't coming back. He was terribly stung, poor thing, but I knew it was right. He was a good man, and he has a lovely family now. Two daughters. I've visited them and find his children delightful if a little too proper. 
Maybe I'm just too inclined towards those with flaws. I'm too quick to criticise the seemingly perfect, but those who are difficult, problematic, annoying, selfish, boring. Well, I can find some fellow feeling there. I'd consider you one of those tediously unselfish types too, if it weren't for the fact that I sense you might have a bit of an ego too, and you're just not letting on. It's the mystery about you that makes me relax about this whole enterprise of ours. I don't care what awful motivation drives you. I feel at home with the awful. Which brings us to payment. Please don't say that the work is its own reward. I won't believe it and it stinks as an idea. Art should be paid for, shouldn't it? Anyway, it's not bloody art. But how should I reward you, if not in cash? I think I know. You claim you are an avid reader of mine, the most avid, and so I deduce that correspondence with me is the reward you crave, and facts about my life are the payment you have been receiving, and shall continue to receive. Am I right? Have I hit upon the perfect equation? You help me write this book, and I'll pay you with, well, with me. Hillary was played by Rebecca Charles, Monica by Georgina Sutton. Your Most Avid Reader was written by Bibi Berkey, with sound editing by Mark Lingwood. It was made by Tempest Productions and brought to you with the kind support of Rattlesnake Books, an established seller of books, maps, ephemera, art and curiosities. Rattlesnake Books can be found on Instagram, Etsy, Abe Books and Biblio.